Okay, let's go to the book of Galatians chapter number 1. While you're turning, we do have that table over there. I'm going to say a little bit about it each night. But I will start tonight. We have the three-team t-shirts out for what we'll be doing with the teenagers. And there are brochures there as well advertising our Wednesday, Thursday night rallies. Now, we're going to do something I don't think I've ever done. I'm going to be preaching the entire revival services, but on Wednesday and Thursday night, your very own John Pound is going to be leading the uh, War of Special Forces out on the field with the teenagers. And um, uh, John, of course, as most of you know, is a hometown boy, was saved right here at OCA and is a product of your ministry. And uh, it's kind of interesting, uh, but the Lord's laid on John and his uh, new wife, Danielle, the burden for youth evangelism. Uh, so they are actually in training right now, and Lord willing, in the fall, be taking their own team out uh, across uh, probably most of the eastern part, uh, conducting a program called War Blitz, which is similar to War of Special Forces, but is youth evangelistic crusades. And so we're excited about that. Uh, but uh, he certainly is someone you can pray for. He's your hometown uh, preacher boy, and uh, he'll be uh, preaching uh, Wednesday and Thursday night rallies. We'll be in here, of course, uh, but if you know of a teenager you'd like to invite, there's a brochure over there you can grab, and we've certainly been already, I think they already have 85, 90 young people signed up from just recruiting on Saturday, inviting teens in the community to come and be a part of those rallies at 6 o'clock both Wednesday and Thursday. And uh, although we'll still be in there, I just want to make that clear, although that will be going on out there. Now, kids on OCA, how many OCA students do we have here tonight? Okay, several around. I know you're excited about Monday morning, unbelievable school starting again. It's going to be great. But this week's going to be a good one because it's War of Special Forces. We'll be having special chapels starting tomorrow uh, all the way through the end of the week. And then, of course, uh, in the afternoons, we'll be doing some events as well that I'll be involved with with the uh, War of Special Forces. We'll tell you more about that. So all you that are OCA students or if you have some at home that, um, are going to our grandkids or whatever, they'll be a part of this week. You pray for them that God would do a great work in each of their hearts. Every day in chapel, we'll be preaching a message uh, geared to the young people as the Lord would lead. And our burden, of course, as young people get saved and those that already know the Lord would be stirred in their Christian life, deal with sin, take steps of faith, and grow in their walk with God. And so, exciting week. I know I kind of gave it to you quickly, uh, but uh, that's, uh, that's a little bit of the table. We'll say more about that as the week goes on. But I also want to mention. I know what night it is. I know what night it is. But I'm sure you're not interested in that game going on. I mean, after all, the Rams shouldn't even be in it. There was a non-call with Chicago Bears. They should have lost to the Bears. There was a non-call with the New Orleans Saints. They should have lost the Saints. They're an illegitimate team that should not be in the Super Bowl. So why would you want to watch it, especially if you're a Bears fan like me? And uh, we haven't had a whole lot to cheer about, so we're kind of excited about this year. Okay, but, um, uh, but anyway, and Patriots, come on. Unless they're from New England, they've been there, done that. I'm not interested. Okay, but anyway, so we've done away with with the Super Bowl, no big deal. So uh, I'm going to preach tonight. I, I have to get this ahead of time because some of you are going to be a little worried about this. I'm preaching through an entire book of the Bible tonight, an entire book of the Bible. And I promise you it will be done by tomorrow night. That's my goal. And uh, I uh, was uh, assigned to, uh, to teach the book of Galatians uh, over at International Baptist College of Ministry, Aaron on the second pew. His dad is a Greek professor there. It's over in Kenya. And that's where I met Aaron. And he is, um, uh, he is, uh, I've been on our going to be on our team for this entire tour. But anyway, all that aside, uh, they asked me to, to do a, a course on Galatians. And I prepared about 20 hours worth of lectures. And I'm going to try to condense that tonight. Aren't you excited? I'm going to try to condense that. A Reader's Digest version. Now, what this is called is a flyover. Have you ever flown over some area of the country you were very familiar with? Doesn't it look different from the air? If you uh, 
Months ago, I was flying into Midway Airport. That's where I grew up on the south side of Chicago, the first, uh, first grade through fourth grade. And as I flew into Midway Airport, it was like, oh, I couldn't believe it. I mean, there's my elementary school. There's Marquette Park. There's the Nabisco factory. Boy, that was a great place. You, 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 whiff, you smell cookies, okay, uh, every uh, 24-7. But, uh, and uh, there's Bogan High School. I believe that was where. And there's a railroad yard. You know, just kind of different flying in from the air. To see all that looked a whole lot closer than it was. But tonight, uh, we're going to do a flyover of the book of Galatians, and it will be a flyover. And I want us to just kind of, sometimes a flyover helps us kind of put it all together. And, uh, but really in doing this, I'm telling you why I'm doing this. I believe the book of Galatians deals with one of the great needs of God's people, in particular American Christianity today. And so we're going to deal with a message I'm going to call legalism versus license. Legalism versus license. Now, it has very much practical application. It's not for just for theological uh, considerations here. Well, we're living in a country that um, uh, I believe in American Christianity, we have fallen into both of these ditches at times. And I want us to just investigate them both. And uh, we won't right now deal with the, the, middle, the middle, which is the biblical balance of it, uh, but we'll mention that. So we're going to run through the book of Galatians is dealing with the false gospel. The false gospel, as you're going to see in just a moment, is really, um, it's a uh, completely opposite gospel to the true gospel. False gospel. It's an opposite gospel. And that's what we get the word legalism. So several different words. So let's begin by looking at Galatians chapter number 1. Look at verses number 6 and 7. And you will find the purpose statement of the book of Galatians. Now notice what it says. I marvel that you are so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel, which is not another. Now I want to ask you a question. The Bible says here it's another gospel which is not another. So my question is, is it another gospel or not? <laughs> another gospel which is not another. You say, preacher, what's the Bible saying here? Well, you may know this. There's two different words there. The first word, another, is the word heteros, which happens to be a word we use in uh, English language. We use it with the word heterosexual. In fact, I believe Pastor used it in a Sunday school lesson talking about the fact that the biblical worldview deals with heterosexual marriage. Okay, that means the marriage between a man and a woman. So the whole idea of the word heteros is it's another of a different kind. Now, would you not admit that men and women are different? I'm talking about their brains. <laughs> men and women think differently. Now, I just want to help you ladies out. Here's, I've heard this describe a man. I could totally relate with this. A man's brain is like a chest of drawers. And he only lives in one drawer at a time. See, every man has a food drawer. Boy, we like that drawer. We're in there a lot. You know what I'm talking about? And then we have, uh, you might have a, um, a Florida State drawer, I don't know, or a Florida Gators drawer, I don't know. I'm not from around here, but, uh, or you might have uh, uh, an NFL football drawer, and you might have a Killing Bambi's mother drawer, you know what I'm talking about, and, and you might have a fishing drawer, and you got all these drawers. And it's really great, ladies, if you can find out which drawer your guy is in. Okay, that'll help your marriage. But there's one drawer, ladies, you've got to know, because you don't have this drawer. It's a drawer and there's nothing in it, absolutely nothing. <laughs> so if you've asked, ever asked your husband, hey, honey, what do you think about it? And he says, nothing, he means it. He really means it. Uh, that's amazing, isn't it? For you, Because basically, I, I, I of course, uh, live with... Um, uh, uh, the female gender, and, and I'm kind of learning that her mind is different than mine. I kind of view it as a bowl of spaghetti, but it's not spaghetti noodles, it's electricity. You know what I'm talking about? Everything is going and everything connects to everything. Okay, so we're different, right? We're different. Men and women are another of a different kind. 
That's the word heteros. So what he's addressing here, if you would see this uh, in uh, chapter, uh, verse 6, uh, he said, you've been removed uh, from the grace of Christ unto another of a different kind of gospel, which is not another, and this is a different word, which means another of the same kind. So he's saying the false gospel is different. It's not the same. Now, that's very interesting, but then the rest of the verse uh, is, is helpful too. It says, but there be that some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. Now, the word pervert means to turn to the opposite, to reverse. So this heteros gospel is an opposite gospel. It's not the same. It's a false gospel. It's opposite. And we would use the word legalism. Now, it's important for us to understand, obviously, people who are lost and trying to get to heaven by good works, that's a false gospel. Okay, that's, that's what we're talking about. But let's go a little further than that, because the book of Galatians was not written to lost people. Nine times you find the word brethren. In other words, the Galatian Christians got saved <laughs> the right way, if I could say that. Otherwise, they wouldn't be Christians. But the Galatian Christians were true believers. What happened? They got into legalism, don't miss this, in their Christian life. So what does that mean? Okay. We'll go, if you would, please, over to chapter number 2, the last verse, okay? The last verse of chapter 2, Galatians. Like I said, we're going to take a rocket ride through, so fasten your seatbelt. Here he says, I do not frustrate the grace of God, for if righteousness come by the law, then Christ is dead in vain. Now, notice he contrasts grace and law. In other words, Christian, the Christian life is lived through grace. It is not lived... In a moment, we're going to see through uh, the fleshly effort to keep the law. Now, look what he says here in verse number 2. Now, we're going to just cut right to the chase. Uh, the Apostle Paul is obviously very exercised, and he asks a series of questions, and I'm going to ask you to answer them, because he's expecting the Galatian Christians to answer it. In fact, verse number 2 shows you that Paul assumes that they're saved. Look what he says. This only what I learn of you. Received ye the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? And the answer is the hearing of faith. You guys heard the gospel, and you believed it. You didn't try to get to, he get to heaven by the works of the law. You, you, tr trusted, you heard the gospel, you believed it, you trusted that God's grace uh, was uh, sufficient, and you got saved. Okay, so he asked that question. So let's continue on. You got saved by the hearing of faith. Next question, verse 3. Are you so foolish? Don't answer that one. Here's the next one. Having begun in the Spirit, are you now made perfect by the flesh? Okay, I want you to think about that. Having begun in the Spirit, are you now made perfect? That's the Christian life. The idea there is the idea of the same word Jesus used on the cross when he said it's finished. Okay, the idea of completion, maturity. Are you now made perfect by the flesh? And the answer is no. Which teaches us something. The false gospel is all about flesh dependence. So you're not made perfect by the flesh. That's not how you grow spiritually. That's not how you reach any growth in your Christian experience. It's not through flesh effort. So I'm going to just put it this way. We're going to just cut to the chase. It's going to be real simple tonight. So I'm going to say, and I know some of you in the balcony, I'll try to get back on the platform so I don't lose you. Okay, so here it is. I'm going to say legalism is, and I want you to say flesh dependence. Do you think you can do that? Somebody who's going to hell, who tries to get to heaven through good works, will they get there? No, they won't get there. So let's say it. A Christian who is trying to be, uh, grow in his Christian life through flesh dependence, will he grow in his Christian life? And the answer is no. Okay, so let's say legalism is, and I want you to say, flesh dependence. Can you handle that tonight? Okay, let's try it. Legalism is flesh 
That's exactly what it is. Now, I'm going to ask you that several times, and I'm going to try to catch you and see if you can, uh, see if you're right on your toes uh, about that. Okay, let's try it again. Legalism is? Okay, you got it. Flesh dependence. You guys over here are going to be licensed. Okay, so your time's coming. Okay, legalism is flesh dependence. And I want to ask you a question. Now, think about this for a moment. How much flesh dependence can a hellbound sinner have in his uh, uh, pursuit to be saved? How much flesh dependence can a hellbound sinner have before he can't get saved? And the answer is, how much flesh dependence can a sinner have in his desire to be saved? How much flesh dependence can he have before he's not going to get saved? And the answer is, any amount. Would you agree with that? So if you were talking to your next-door neighbor, giving them the gospel, and they say, okay, yeah, I'm going to try as hard as I can to get to heaven. Maybe I can do 5%, and I'll trust Jesus to do the rest, 95. Would you be excited about that salvation decision? And the answer is no. See, it's good for you to say something. I'm going to, I try to say this every once in a while because it's really good. If going to heaven depended on me one-tenth of one percent, I would die in my sins and go to hell. Can I say this? If going to heaven depended on me any percentage, I don't care how small you make it, I would die and my sons would go to hell, and so would you. Any amount of flesh dependence aborts somebody who wants to get saved. They don't get saved. Flesh, okay, now, I'm going to ask you a question that's going to throw you a little bit, but I want you to answer it because it's true. How much flesh dependence does it take in the life of a Christian before they're going to be defeated instead of victorious? And the answer is any of them. See, the truth is, flesh dependence is a problem that we all struggle with. You know why? You and I in our human psyche, our natural mind, if I could say that, after we get saved, maybe it would be the carnal mind, have a default to flesh dependence. Have you ever noticed that? Remember the day you got saved, you trusted Jesus to do it all. There's something about trusting Jesus to do it all. Because that sure takes the monkey off your back because you're trusting him to do everything you could never do. <laughs> but when you trusted Jesus to do it all, Many times what happens, we get to say, okay, Jesus, I trusted you to keep uh, me out of hell, uh, but now I'm going to try as hard as I can to live the Christian life. But I want to ask you a question. Does that work? And the answer is, not at all. I remember my own Christian experience. Grew up in a preacher's home. I had to thank the Lord for my dad and my mom. They weren't certainly perfect. No parents are, but they were really, did walk with the Lord. And I know much of their lives, they had the presence of God was in our home. I thank God for it. But you know, um, Despite all that, despite my dad's good preaching, and he preached, uh, preached on these truths, I, I, you know how it is, I, it's spiritual, it takes spiritual illumination, I didn't get it. I remember going my freshman year in college, trying hard to be a good preacher boy. And you know what I found? I couldn't do it. I'd set my alarm at 5.30, oh man, if it kills me, I'm going to get up and spend an hour with God. Oh, I'm going to do it. Man, I'd alarm 5.30, you know, I'd get up, kind of, you know how it is, and kind of go down to the prayer room, get on my knees, and wake up an hour later. You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> we used to call that dwelling in Beulah Land, okay? I don't know. I don't think it was. Okay, but, you know, I'd get discouraged. Read my Bible and say, I don't, I'm not get, I don't understand this. You know, go out on evangelism, door slammed, and nothing. And I remember out there in my in my college years, looking up toward heaven one night, I think I was a junior, just saying, God, God, I can't do this. I've tried. God, I can't do this. And I probably imagined that God was wringing his hands thinking, oh, I'm about to lose another preacher boy, but God wasn't doing that. If God was doing anything, you know what he was saying? About time you learn that, now we can get somewhere. See, I thought I was at the end, but really I was at the beginning. 
Because the end of self is the beginning of God. That's why God brings us to the end of self. Because any amount of self or flesh dependence throws us into legalism. And the book of Galatians, read it. That's what it's dealing with. You made perfect by the flesh. You trusted Jesus to do it all. Don't you get this? You can do all things through. Yeah. Without me, Jesus said you can do. He means it. Not something, or a lot, not a little bit. Without me, you can do a little bit. No, without me, you can do nothing. So legalism is, I caught you, I caught you. Let's try it again. Legalism is, okay, you got it. Now, with that understanding, I think we got it. Let's move then to Galatians chapter 5. Go to Galatians chapter 5 and look at verse number 1. So we're thinking, hey, we're in Galatians chapter 5. There's only six chapters. Okay, don't worry. We're going to park here for a few minutes. Look at Galatians chapter 5. Stand fast in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free. Now, I'm going to put this over here. This ditch, I'm going to call this ditch, legalism, false gospel, opposite gospel. Aren't flesh and spirit opposite? Aren't works and faith opposite? Aren't law and grace opposite? Aren't liberty and bondage opposites? You see, if you study them out, they're all opposites. This is the opposite gospel, the legalism is. So in the middle, we could just call the middle aisle, let's call it the, call it the narrow road, the true gospel. And the true gospel, the Bible uses the word to express it, express it as liberty. Liberty. Liberty is a great word, isn't it? We Americans like that word. But what does it mean? Because it certainly is one of those words that has been abused. <laughs> I remember years ago, in 1996, I had a guy traveling with me. He was a sincere guy. But he always was talking about balance. Always balance. We need to be balanced. We need to be balanced. One day I looked at him and I said, you know what your problem is? You're imbalanced on balance. <laughs> because most of the time, I, I've, I've always thought about coming up with a dictionary. You know what most people mean by balance? Compromise. That's what they mean. <laughs> Now, I'm all for biblical balance, but I will tell you, if I attempt to be biblically balanced, I'll never be able to figure it out. But if I follow Jesus, I will always be biblically balanced. Amen. See, it's not for me trying to figure it out, just following Jesus, and he'll enable me to do it. That's the idea of liberty. Liberty has been misused. A lot of people talk about liberty. You know what they mean by liberty? If you ever hear a guy preach and he talks about grace and liberty, and you get the idea that liberty and grace are permission, you got the wrong definition. Liberty and grace aren't permission. Grace is not the permission to do what you want to do. Grace is the power and the liberty to do what he wants you to do. You're free from self. You're free from your flesh. You're free to do what God wants you to do. That's true liberty. So the liberty roads, God says stand fast in the liberty. Of course, that, uh, that's the opposite of flesh dependence. It's going to be God dependence. So the middle is going to be God dependence. We're going to come back to the middle in a moment. God dependence, and when you live a God-dependent life, you are free. You're free from sin, you're free from self. And how do I put this? You follow Jesus and love it. So I tell teenagers this. The Christian life is, I don't know, I really like to watch that movie, but I know it's got stuff that would be bad and violate the Bible, so I really want to watch it, but I'll be a good little Christian, I won't watch. That's not the Christian life. The Christian life is not watching garbage, not watching filth, not compromising your conscience, and loving it. That's the Christian life. The Christian life isn't waking up in the morning and saying, oh, man, man, i got to go to school. This I'm talking about teenagers. 
oh man, I really like to dress edgy, be cool. But yeah, I, I can't, I gotta be a good little Christian. No, no, that's not the Christian life. The Christian life is not looking like the world and loving it. See, that's grace. Grace means you love to identify with Jesus Christ. You don't care what he says because you're free. You're free to do what God wants you to do, and you just absolutely love it. Now, again, I could preach a whole message on the Liberty Road, but understand what I'm talking about in the Liberty Road is not constraint. It's a life of faith, a dependence upon God. It's total God dependence, and it's waking up every morning saying, I wonder what God's going to do today. And it's an exciting life. Now, I'm not preaching on that, but I want you to see it, okay? Because over here we have the next ditch, Okay, and maybe I should give this illustration. I probably should have given it more toward the morning, beginning of the message. But about a year or two ago, I was with a young uh, assistant up in the state of North Dakota. I believe he's in Canada now, but he was uh, in the Air Force and was stationed in Korea. And he said uh, one of the airfields he was in the air traffic control that he was in uh, was surrounded by rice fields. And he said every certain times of the year, they would flood those rice fields with manure, human manure to fertilize it. Next time you eat rice, think about this. Okay, uh, they would fertilize those rice fields and they would, the commander or whoever it was, I don't know what the name would be for a guy in charge of an air base, but he would gather the airmen together and he'd say, now listen, don't come in at night. If you do come in with a flashlight and don't come in drunk because you're going to stumble off the path into these ditches. You see, they would have narrow pathways in between the rice fields. And uh, he said, invariably, some guy would come in drunk, some guy come in with flat, they'd stumble into the human manure. So can I put this, friends? This is the road in between two ditches. That's the idea. Now, the road's narrow. God says the road to eternal life is narrow. So if we're saved, uh, it's obviously the true, but it's also true in the Christian life. Okay, so the ditch over here, legalism, and now we're going to deal with this ditch over here is what we're going to call license. Now look at verse number 13 of chapter number 5. Look at verse 13, because I think this will help us. Now I've got to find my Bible. I always end up putting it somewhere. Okay, here we go. Let's read verse number 13. For brethren, ye have been called unto liberty. Only use not liberty for an occasion to the flesh. Now I want to ask you a question. If you took the concept of liberty and used it to indulge your flesh, would it be Bible liberty? Yes or no? No. So God is simply saying there's, there are people that call something liberty when it actually is the opposite of liberty. They actually use it as permission to indulge themselves. In other words, to do what they want to do. Now, whenever you use a word and you reassign the definition, uh, this is a little harder to get. Now, let's just be honest. The opposite gospel is easy to identify, wouldn't it be? you knocked on somebody's door and they said, well, I'm trusting my good works to get to heaven. Pretty good, uh, easy to identify. This is the false gospel. It's opposite. Or even you talk to a Christian. Oh, I'm trying hard to live the Christian life. I'm doing the best I can. You're thinking, wait a second. You've got to trust God. It's not self-dependence. You've got to trust the Lord. Okay, so what about license? License is harder. Why? It uses the right words. Listen, you go to churches all across America and even all across this town that will use the words liberty, faith, grace, spirit, which are all words that describe the true gospel, but they reassign the definition. Liberty is an occasion to the flesh. Grace has been turned to lasciviousness. Isn't that somewhere in the Bible? 
Faith is without works. In other words, faith, but obedience is minimized. They talk about faith, but it minimizes obedience, James chapter number 2. So, so you have the right words, but you have different definitions. You know what we call that? Counterfeit. So what's easier to identify, something that's opposite or something that's counterfeit? And the answer is something that's opposite. That's easier to identify. For instance, let's just imagine I pull, uh, pull these two out from a distance. Maybe you get this. i get this one out here. Okay. Okay, so I'm coming to your store, and I'm just going to buy something. Okay, uh, let's just imagine, okay, I try to sell this to you. Are you going you're gonna to buy that? You're going you're gonna to take this as currency? And the answer is... No, why? Because that's, that's opposite. It's not green. It's blue. I'm not sure that's totally opposite, but you know what I'm talking about. It's different. So different, you recognize. You say, well, what is this? This is Canadian currency. You say, why do you carry Canadian currency? Well, the Toronto airport has four or five Tim Hortons. Why would you not carry currency uh, to go to Tim? How many know what I'm talking about? Tim Hortons, okay? Yeah, you got to know what I'm talking about. You have missed out on life if you haven't been to Timmy's. Okay, but anyway, in fact, I was preaching somewhere, and a guy walked up to me afterwards and said, I got some Canadian money. He gave me a $20 bill in Canadian. Man, I am set up for Tim Hortons. Okay, but anyway, and uh, it's the equivalent of Dunkin' Donuts, if that'll help at all. Okay, now if I handed this to you, you probably still figured it might not be right, but this is a Canadian, old Canadian $1 bill. You'd be more likely to take this if you weren't looking carefully. And all what I'm simply saying is, legalism is much easier to identify than license. Because license is counterfeit. Now let me try to help you with this. In fact, let me first of all get you all trained in here. Uh, they're, they're doing a great job over there. Okay, so I'm going to say licenses, and I want you to say flesh indulgence. Can you handle that? Okay. Licenses, and you just yell it out, flesh indulgence. Let's try it. Licenses. Flesh okay. That's what the Bible says. In the name of liberty, you use this as an occasion of the flesh. You do what you want to do. Now, let me illustrate them all if I could. Let's imagine tonight I took that American flag, I put it right here in the center of the auditorium. I used to literally do this, but I'm just going to explain it to you because we got our kids over in the children's meeting. Imagine we brought a little kid up, I'm guessing five years old, maybe a little outgoing, not shy. Bring a young man up here, and uh, you know the American flag, there's an eagle on the top. And I instruct that young man, I want you to touch that eagle. Okay, go get, give it a shot. And he jumps. I want to ask you a question. Is he going to touch the eagle? Is he even going to come close? He's not even going to come close. So let's imagine I get you cheering. We get his name. We start chanting his name, and we're cheering him on. He's jumping. He's jumping. Now I want to ask you a question. Do you think he's going to keep jumping? Sometime he's going to get discouraged, and he's going to realize, I can't do this. Now at that point, you have three responses. Either the kid's just going to say, forget this, and go back to his parents. Or another thing I could do is I could take the flag, I could compromise the standard, I could lean it over, and he could touch the compromised standard. And although we all know he touched the compromised standard, well, we just kind of make him feel good. We could do that, right? Sure we could. Or we could leave the standard where it is. And I could look around the room for a gentleman that is cut. You know what I'm talking about? Works out every day. I mean, bulging muscles, 
I'm really not seeing anybody, but anyway, I could look for somebody that uh, definitely has got something. And I could uh, bring him up here and say to that young, uh, young kid, I said, do you think so-and-so can lift you to that, that eagle? And he'll, of course, big, wide eyes, and that guy takes him, and with a very little effort, up there, and he touches the eagle. Now, he was enabled to do something with a power that was not his own. Here's what I want you to see. Legalism is the kid jumping in his own effort, and he's not going to ever, ever be able to do what we've told him to do. It's impossible. That's legalism. License is compromising the standard so that through fleshly effort, he can touch the eagle, and we all know what we did. The Christian life, as the Bible teaches it, is the Holy Spirit who doesn't, is not without us. That's the problem with the illustration. He's inside of us, enabling us and lifting us to do what we can never do unless he enabled us to do it. Now, you say, why'd you give that illustration? Because I want you to see something, and the book of Galatians just stunningly deals with this. This is unbelievable how it deals with this. It deals with the fact that, I'm going to put it this way, legalism always leads to license unless you meet Jesus. And I'm not necessarily talking about salvation. You say, what do you mean by that? Okay, have you ever, I have seen this, people who were very legalistic. And what I mean by that is I'm very conservative. Uh, Very, my parents were conservative. I'm even more conservative than they are. They're with the Lord now. Now, legalism has nothing to do with the line. Doesn't have anything to do if you're conservative. That's not the idea. Legalism is not the line. It's your attitude toward the line. Hey, I don't know about you, but the line's pretty high in the Word of God. You ever notice that? (laughs) The point is, if you're trying to keep the line in self-dependence, that's legalism. So it's not the line. It's your attitude toward the line. So let's imagine you have some people very conservative, but their attitude toward the line is one of self-dependence. Which self-dependence, you know what it does? It always usually leads to condescension toward people who are not as high as they are. You ever notice that? They'll have an attitude, uh, a looking down at people. So I've seen people like that, and you get concerned about it. And then I've noticed that a few years later, they've left that church, and now they've left the conservative church. They're now at the uh, edge of town, the loosey-goosey, every, you know, everything goes church. Come as you are, leave as you were, church at the edge of town. You know what I'm talking about? You're thinking, what happened? What happened to those people? Well, actually, all that happened was this. They moved from flesh dependence to flesh indulgence. And although it looks like a huge move, it was not, because did you notice the very first word is the same? They move from flesh to flesh. And the truth is, the move was not that big at all, and it was highly predictable. Listen, young person, you hear me. You try to live the Christian life in flesh dependence, and you will find yourself one day in flesh indulgence unless you meet Jesus. And again, I'm not necessarily talking about salvation. So, let me just stop for a moment and give what I'm going to now call a historical perspective. I was born in 1960. I shouldn't tell you that. You know how old I am. But anyway, I was born in 1960. My dad was a pastor. Of course, I was born into a pastor's home. And um, this was back in the time when a lot of battles were being fought. Uh, My dad, uh, when he was a kid, his mother, my grandmother, walked up to their pastor, who happened to be a Baptist, uh, and said to him, Pastor, what do you believe about the virgin birth? And the pastor laughed and called my, my grandmother's name, whose name was, ironically, Oma, and said, Oma, we all know that Jesus was the son of a German soldier. 
My grandmother did a U-turn, walked out of that church, and never came back. And I'm going to tell you why. Because she loved Jesus Christ. That's why. Battles were being fought that we cannot understand. They were all about the fundamentals of the faith. So I grew up in a home with a dad who went back to that controversy. Then he fought what they called new evangelicalism. I don't have time to go into that. Fought that battle, which was dealing with the compromise, which we face in every age. My dad basically said every generation has to fight Calvinism and every generation has to fight compromise. And boy, were those not prophetic words. But the point is, my dad then became part of what we call the Independent Baptist Movement. Now, if you don't know this, your church is part of that movement. My dad said when the independent, you would get this because your church would certainly relate with this. Your church would have the same history. My dad said when the independent Baptist church movement started, he said we were despised. We had been kicked out of all the denominations and the conventions because we wouldn't stand the compromise with doctrine. And I uh, said we were in storefronts. We had nothing but God. Amen. He said in those 40s and 50s, he said we had nothing, so all we, had to, all we could do was pray. We prayed, we knocked on doors, we went after it. And it said all of a sudden, independent Baptist churches started to grow like wildfire. And by the time the 60s and 70s had rolled around, about half of the United States, the largest church in those states, were independent Baptist churches. It was an unbelievable move of God. Several, about a year ago, I heard Dr. Ed Nelson, some of you may know the name, I think he's 93, 94 years old, give a testimony about his early years, and I was struck with something. He talked about all-night prayer meetings. He talked about amazing answers to prayer. In fact, the doctor told him, you have six months to live. He's now 94. I think he said he's on, I don't know how many six months he's lived past that. But just remarkable answers to prayer. And I remember when I heard him speak, I said, that was it. That was the secret of the Independent Baptist movement. We had nothing but God. You know, sometimes, have you ever noticed that sometimes we say things that are odd? Have you ever said this? Oh, pastor, it's terrible. Everything's gone wrong. Nothing's gone right. All we got left is God. You think we need any more? We sometimes say that, don't we? Kind of like God's the last resort. Have you ever thought about he might be a good first resort? But my point is this. The independent Baptist movement started right. Man, we were in it. Man, we were all about it. Now, I'm not saying every church, certainly. I, I, my father bucked the trend. But somewhere along the line, we got distracted. We were the big guys. Now, my personal opinion is that uh, there's some things that one of them was political involvement. Now, I'm all for voting and political involvement. Don't get me wrong, but I think we left our prayer closet to do it. We elected Ronald Reagan, but I hate to tell you, he did not bring in the millennium. Have you ever noticed that? I certainly enjoyed his presidency and still listened to his speeches sometimes just to get fired up. But, um, but the point is, we all know he wasn't a perfect man. No one, no one is. Now, I, I'm glad he was elected. I, I certainly think it helped our country. But I will tell you, if you leave your prayer closet to elect a candidate, you have made a mistake. My point is, stay in the prayer closet. Whatever you do, stay in your prayer closet. But I think the movement began slowly to lose our dependence upon God. You know why? Because we had infrastructure, we had money, we had prestige, we had influence. My very own father was in the 
vice presidential mansion with a group of pastors talking to President George H.W. Bush about uh, the vice president he was going to pick, which he eventually picked Dan Quayle. Some of you remember that. And, and he was with several big names at that time. And, and that was heady stuff. And, and I think as a movement, if we weren't careful, we, we began to lose our dependence upon God. Again, I'm not saying those things were wrong. I, I think there were good things that we did. I just think as a movement that perhaps my thought is looking back, maybe we, we lost our dependence on God. And when we did, we moved into legalism. So we moved into self-dependence to keep it going. And do you know what happens with legalism? It doesn't work. Self-dependence or flesh-dependence always leads to flesh-indulgence. And I want to ask you a question. And I'm looking at it, friend, as a person who totally believes in the mission that God has given uh, the Independent Baptist Movement. I totally believe in it. But I am looking back over my lifetime, and I'm thinking to myself, have we not had a lot of our young men, preacher boys, who have moved to the left? And they moved over here to flesh-indulgence. And now they got all the right words. But they do things and look at things that clearly violate the clear teachings of the Word of God. I don't know how else you can cut it. And I will tell you something, it's killing us. I'm talking about the movement. It's killing us. And it is literally undercutting revival because revival is all about holiness. It's not about worldliness. Have you ever thought that culture is all about religion? You take me to any culture in this world and it, it literally reflects religion. <laughs> Even atheism is a religion. Why in the world would we want to be culturally relevant when the culture we're trying to be relevant with is a pagan religion? It makes no sense, these young bucks who are talking about being culturally relevant. What happens is they have rejected flesh dependence. They have gone to flesh indulgence. But here's the problem with flesh. And here's the theme of the book of Galatians. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. Whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. For he that soweth to the flesh shall of the flesh reap. See, the book of Galatians is all about flesh. It's saying flesh dependence is a false gospel. It's an opposite gospel. It doesn't work. It doesn't work in, if you, to salvation. It doesn't work in the Christian life, sanctification. And then it says, no, by the way, don't overreact. Because if you go over here to flesh indulgence, that doesn't work either. It's a counterfeit gospel. It grieves the Holy Spirit and it lacks power. See, it's like this, friends. I remember when I was growing up, young men would say, well, you got all these scandals. These independent Baptist pastors that, you know, uh, were in sin over here, and they point out different ones. But have you ever noticed that the evangelicals now have scandals? And I'm not, I don't glory in anybody's scandals. But I can name very big, big names that are no longer in the ministry because of scandals. See, the problem is simply this, human nature. The problem is the flesh. See, I don't care what you are, but if you become flesh-dependent, it won't work. Flesh-dependent will never work. It will lead to corruption. And if you go to flesh-indulgence, it won't work either. Why? Because it leads to corruption. And what God is trying to help us understand is both sides of the spectrum, both ditches on either side, lead to corruption. God says, don't be deceived. The only thing that works is God-dependence, or we call it spirit-dependence, because that leads to life eternal. And I believe that's not just talking about heaven. It is talking about I am come that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. It's talking about living the Christian life and loving it. And so I'm talking about not being worldly, not looking like the world and loving it. Loving being identified with Jesus Christ. See, that's the idea.
Now, I want to just deal with one other thing here before we land the airplane. Yeah, left my Bible again, left my money, left my wallet. This is bad. Okay, here it is. You try to preach sometime, think about it all. Okay, here it is. Forget it. Okay, we'll get this down. I know some kid was saying, boy, I hope that preacher forgets all that. But anyway, oh, here's my Bible, other side. Let's go to Galatians chapter 5, verse 24, and then we'll, we'll wind her down. Look what it says. And they that are Christ's have crucified the flesh with the affections and lusts. Okay, so if we're going to put it in flesh, remember we said legalism, liberty, license, false gospel, true gospel, or opposite gospel, true gospel, counterfeit gospel. But right here, let's talk about flesh, flesh dependence, flesh indulgence, and you know what the center is? Flesh crucifixion. The God-dependent life is a crucified flesh life. Now let's stop for a moment and think about what that means. In the Bible, particularly even in the book of Galatians, when the Bible talks about crucifixion, it often is passive in voice. I don't mean to be too technical, but there in Galatians 2.20 it says, I am crucified with Christ. It's passive in voice, which simply means this. When you got saved, you probably didn't even realize it, but the moment you trusted Jesus, you were put in a union with Jesus Christ, and when Jesus died, so did you. You were a passive recipient of his crucifixion. Passive in voice. When I came to Galatians 5.24, I expected it to be passive in voice, but it's not. It's active, which means my responsibility. It's what they call the aorist tense, which basically views the action as a whole. But there are different ways to view the aorist tense. This is interpretive. This is not um, exegetical. But there's different ways to view the perfect uh, the uh, aorist tense. And one of them is what they call a constative aorist. And a constative aorist would be viewed like a dotted line. In other words, a series of flesh crucifixions. Now, when the Bible says they that are Christ's, I believe if you look at the context, it's clearly not talking about salvation. It's talking about surrender. This is, again, my take. Good people may disagree. So I believe what he's saying is, listen, if you are Jesus's, you've surrendered to Jesus. You said, okay, God, not my will, but yours. I want to do your will. Total surrender, total dependence. God says, when you do that, you will have a series of flesh crucifixions in your life. Now, I think everybody in this room knows what I'm talking about. Because if you've grown anywhere spiritually, it came through saying no to your flesh. And when you did, you died. My dad was 14 years old, sitting in a movie theater on a Saturday afternoon. For those of you that are of his generation, he was born in 1924. You knew that that's what they did. Watch the newsreels, then watch the movie of the week. As my dad was sitting in that movie theater... He went to a very compromised church. They left that liberal church, but they went to another very weak church. It was least orthodox, but it was weak. So my dad looked around to the movie theater that afternoon, and it was like the Holy Spirit said, Wayne, what are you doing here? And he ever had a conversation with God? <laughs> my dad said, well, there's the deacon's kids over there, and there's a few deacons, and there's the pastor's kids, and everybody's here, God. And by the way, God, we're all here to watch a Christian movie. I think it was Sergeant York. We're all here to watch a Christian movie. And the Holy Spirit said something to my dad, and this is not audible. This is just, was very clear to my dad, 14 years old. The Holy Spirit said to Wayne, next week you will all be back. 
and it will not be Sergeant York. My dad saw it. He realized he'd been to enough movies. He knew, yeah, next week we're going to watch things we shouldn't watch. We're going to compromise. So my dad walked out of the movie theater and did something. Again, I'm not, you may not understand this illustration. If you don't, don't, don't write me off. I'm just giving you a, a historical illustration. My dad walked out of that movie theater and he looked up to heaven and he said, God, I am never coming back. And from that day to the day he went home to be with the Lord in 1997, he never stepped foot in a movie theater again. I'm convinced if my dad had said no to God, I would not be here tonight. I wouldn't be in existence. He wouldn't have married my mother. You see, flesh crucifixions are when you follow Jesus. You say, preacher, I don't understand that illustration. Okay, don't miss the point. The point is, what if God asked you to stop going to some place you, you didn't think anything was wrong with it? What would you do? That's the point. Everybody's different. God knows what different people can handle. But all the point is this. He followed the Lord. And he began to make a pattern in his life when God showed him something, even if it had brought great difficulty, he followed God. But the big one was still to come. He was a part of that very group, denomination, if you want to call it, of which his pastor was a liberal, didn't even believe Jesus was virgin born. He was a part of that denomination. Well, when he got out of college, he began to get in a conviction because things weren't cleaning up at that time. And the Holy Spirit of God began to say, you've got to leave. You've got to leave. The only problem was he was in one of their churches. He'd taken it. About 50 people were in it. The thing had grown to about 150. Almost those all. So over half the church were his converts, new converts. He'd won to Jesus. Church was growing. And the Spirit of God said, Wayne, you're going to have to leave. You're going to have to leave. You can't stay anymore. You know too much. You're going to have to go. Well, my dad did make a mistake. God obviously, but he didn't purge the rolls before he announced that on such such a night, we're going to vote to leave. And he tried to educate his people, explain what God was doing. And he said, on such such a night, we're going to leave this big convention and this denomination. And, and uh, whoa, as soon as the convention denomination, my dad began to get phone calls. The denominational leadership said, if you leave, we will ruin you. You will never preach in a church of any size. We will, we will, we will ruin you. Nice guys. You know what I'm talking about? Really nice people. In fact, they, got a, they hired a woman to make a call from a motel room in distress. They had photographers planted, and they were going to frame my dad trying to get him out of the ministry. You know, they, these guys used to play hardball, if you know what I'm talking about. Some of you young kids have no idea what these men that fought the battles, really what they faced. Fortunately, his deacons found out about it, warned him. He didn't go. And uh, just was set up traps like that. It was just brutal. So he announced, we're going to leave, you know, and get, you know, the Constitution, three weeks, whatever it was. I mean, they started calling everybody who'd never been to church for the last five years. You know what I'm talking about? They forgot the purge of rolls, and it looked like they were going to lose. They lose the building, they lose everything. My dad said he and his little flock of people, most of them he led to Jesus, were just quaking in fear. He said, the night of the vote. It was a Wednesday night. He said, God has a sense of humor. He sent a hurricane. (laughs) Phone lines went down. Church was flooded. This is Miami, Florida. Church was flooded. And the neighborhood was flooded. Okay, you're Floridians, you get this. And uh, 
There's no way to contact, no way to call it off, no way to postpone it. And so all the people, his dear people, he led to Jesus. They loved their pastor. They got on their raincoats. Some of them got out their boats and they rowed over to church. There was a second story on that building. I've been there. It's holy ground to me. My dad got there, put the candles in the windows, wondering if he'd have a quorum. He needed 25. 27 showed up. Those people braved the elements, came out of a hurricane, and voted 26 to 1 to leave that mighty convention. The next day, boy, the convention was livid. They went to the lawyers. We're going to take you to the cleaners. And they took it to the law. And the law says the meeting was legal. It stands. And Goliath went down hard on that one. But you know, friends, when my dad was told, you'll never preach in a church of any size, he said, Jim, he said, I was just a kid. He said, I believed it. I figured I, I never preach. I just preach, you know, a few people, that'd be it. But you know, friends, my dad used to say at the end of his life, the very thing I thought would ruin me, it made me. And friends, all I'm trying to say is the, the middle road here is, flesh crucifixion. Hey, teenager, it's when God works in your heart and says, don't watch that TV program anymore. It's junk. And you know what you say? You're right, God. I'm not going to watch that anymore. I remember God dealing with me about TV programs. My parents were great parents, but hey, TV was changing in the 70s. A lot of TV programs I watched that shouldn't have watched. Nothing compared to today, but still kindergarten, but it still wasn't right. Grieved the Holy Spirit, and I knew it. And I remember the Holy Spirit of God saying to me, you shouldn't watch that. And I remember wrestling with it and saying, okay, God, I'll never watch it again. I look back now and laugh, you know, how could it even be a big deal? But you know what God was doing? You need to crucify the flesh. There's not a person in this room who has any measure of spirituality in your life who could not go back to several events in your own life when you said yes to Jesus and no to your flesh. And other people might say, well, what's the big deal there? And you might say, well, it may not be a big deal to you, but it was a big deal to God, and he made it a big deal to me. And friends, you may not understand the issues I brought up. Please don't let those distract you, because that's not the point. Every one of us is on a different pilgrimage. The point is, the Spirit of God's going to come along in your life and say, that needs to go. What are you going to do about it? I was preaching on this truth in the state of Wisconsin. A dear pastor got up. I wish I would recorded what he said, because he was deeply he said, congregation, I've got to tell you something. He said, there were two decisions in my life. If I had not made the right direction, I would not be your pastor. I would not be in the ministry. He said, my, I got saved in junior high at an independent Baptist church. I started to grow like crazy. My parents got a divorce. and I spent every Sunday with my dad. My dad would pick me up after church. We'd drive to a movie theater, watch a movie, and I would miss Sunday evening church. He said, the very first thing God convicted me of is... You shouldn't miss Sunday night church. He said, I went to my dad and said, Dad, I know it's our only day. But I got to be in church. Could you drop me off at church? His dad started dropping him off at church. And then he got under conviction because a lot of the movies they watched, a lot of stuff that the Holy Spirit was grieved and he knew it. So he finally went to the dad and said, Dad, could we do something else? I don't want to go to the movie theater anymore. Stuff that's grieving my spirit, grieving the Holy Spirit. He said, those decisions made me. Now, I'll be honest with you. We have lost flesh crucifixion in American Christianity. Now we're preaching liberty, Christian liberty, in a way that is not biblical. Because any Christian liberty that downplays flesh crucifixion is not Bible Christian liberty. 
Because true Christian liberty, it always crucifies the flesh. But God gives you, sets you free. And you live the Christian life in a way that brings joy and peace like you never dreamed. So there it is, friend, the book of Galatians. So we could put it one word, flesh. Legalism is? Try it again. Legalism is? License is? And liberty is? Flesh crucified. Could I ask every head bow, please, and every eye?